Peace, peace, peace. I am Dr. Philip Roundtree. There's no new episode of Hashtag You Good Man Men's Wellness Podcast this week. However, we are replaying a vintage episode where Zane Booker, Michael Olenek, and myself discussed the father wound. As always, tune in, subscribe, and share with a brother who may benefit. Until next week, peace. Peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Roundtree, and you are tuned into episode 54 of Hashtag You Good Man. In this episode, I have the privilege of being joined by our, matter of fact, I'm going to leave him till last. We have the pleasure of being joined by master's level social worker, Michael Olnick, and we have our professional Negro dancer, Mr. Zane Booker. I am not your Negro. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Zane Booker in the building. And so, where is my mic? It's not showing up on here, so let's unhide all. Let's hope that that went through. Um, if not, then I'm gonna have to start all over again at some point. But um, today we wanted to, I wanted to have a conversation about Father's Day, which just passed this past Sunday, as well as this idea of healing the father wound. And for those who aren't familiar with what the father wound is, we'll definitely dive into that. So first, I want to talk to you, brothers. I, I know you both aren't parents, um, but clearly, in order to be here. You are the product of sperm, right? So, so just how was your Father's Day? Did you celebrate in any type of way? Were you able to re- just reflect on your relationship with whether your sperm donor, your father, your pa, however it is that you you decide to identify this person as? So, we could we could start with you, Zay. Um, so I went, I went and took, I bought my father, my pop, who you guys have met before, a television. Um, me and my brother bought him a TV and I took it up there and I worked the rest of the day. I didn't, I didn't really reflect on my father who passed away. Um, we had an amazing relationship. It was my biological father, my, I guess you call him my real father. Um, I don't do holidays in that way. They don't, they don't command when I think about things that are really personal. I actually uh, don't take my cue from them in that way. Um, but yeah, so that was it. I worked and then I did that, which felt good to make him happy and spend some time with my brother who had a stroke recently. Um, I saw him for the first time in a while. Not the brother that you guys met, um, another brother. Yeah, so it was a good day. It was a good day. Word, word. How about you, Mike? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good day. Uh, my, my brother has a daughter, so it's a big day for him and me, him, his daughter, my wife all went over my dad's house. Uh, first time we've seen them since COVID started. So that was cool to reconnect. And then I also sent a text to, uh, a man who took me in when I was strung out on drugs and basically helped me get clean. So I sent him a text and reached out to him just because I, I don't usually send him a text, but I just kind of felt spurned to reach out. So I did. And uh, it was good to reconnect with him as well. Word, word. So that was it. That wasn't really a deep dive into, into Father's Day. I guess this is what we've come to expect with, with Father's Day. Um, as far as myself, my daughter was present. I got to spend time with her. She got me a, t- a T-shirt that, that says Black Fathers Are Essential. Uh, I wanted to overanalyze the shirt, 
you know, it's like, why I got to be black? I wanted to, I don't know what I wanted to do with it, but I was like, you know what? It's from my baby. I appreciate it by proxy from my mother. So I appreciate it. And we just chill. We relax. Um, we, we, you know, we, we, we just have fun. We just have fun. And this is coming off a week of the previous week where it was my father's birthday. Uh, my biological father who, who passed back in 2009, um, who I didn't really have a relationship with. Um, and so I think that was the first time that I really felt some type of way, like on his birthday, I mean, for much of my life, I didn't know when his birthday was. I knew roundabout, but it was on June 14th. And so just in re- on that day, I just knew how I felt where um, it was some sadness. It was me being frustrated. Things that we talk about this, that the healing wound, right? I mean, the father wound, rather, where it's whether you have an absent father that's not there or a father who is present, but they're absent emotionally and just everything that comes with that. And so for me... You know, in that in, in that first week on his birthday, I did a lot of reflecting and somebody recommended that I do a I, actually my neighbor, my neighbor. He's about in his 70s and we were talking about just white folk. And he talked about how now he's ready to combat white folk. If they come to his face like they just go and get it, you know, and I'm just listening to him. And he was like, uh, you know, I did a family tree and he would talk about, you know, he had indigenous people in his family. And he said, you ever do a family tree? And I was like, nah. And I wasn't even talking to him about my, you know, my father or anything like that. But I came in. It was just like, you know what? That will allow me to learn more about who he was. And so I started, I signed up for, for Ancestry, started doing the family tree, started putting it together. I canceled it before that $29 hit. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> because it'd, be, it'd be heavy. But I think it's something that I'm going to continue to do um, just to to just to help me learn more about who he is because right because that'll allow me to learn more about who I am and that'll do a lot to start quote unquote healing some of these wounds that I've acquired over time and so you know I was happy with Father's Day and just every how it manifested itself um I didn't reach out to my my stepfather uh because he and I really don't have that relationship um even though I fully understand Right. I understand his his background, his experiences. I remember, you know, I told him I was writing a memoir. I told him I mentioned uh, I wrote about him in the memoir. And, you know, he's he's in his 70s. He was a sharecropper. Right. And you from the South and South Carolina. And you really have no idea what that is when you growing up. Right. I knew he couldn't read or write. I knew he had, uh, you know, issues in relating to me. But now in my 30s, I start I'm starting to understand it a whole lot more. And he told me he was like, yeah, he was like, I got some stories. He was like, I can tell you when Martin Luther King came to Philadelphia, I was part of his security. Right. And we had to lock arms in order to stop people from getting through to him. And then we sat back and we was drinking a whole bunch of us was throwing back beers. He was like back in South Carolina and, you know, in the 40s or what have you. uh, He started making his way to school. And because the bus had went past, so he's like, I want to go to school. So he started going to school and his pop stopped him, hit him and said, where do you think you're going? Right. Because he was the oldest of of all his brothers and sisters. He had to get back out in the field and in order to crop and, and do those different things. And so I guess in hindsight, you know, growing up, I couldn't understand those things. Um, and he wasn't in a position to convey them to me. And now where I am, I'm starting to extend a little bit more grace but that still hasn't extended itself to 
having a more a healthier relationship, right? Because I got to be in a position emotionally to to have that conversation. And it's hard, right? When we talk about uh, these uncomfortable conversations and dealing with past traumas, especially when it comes to fathers, it's, it's really hard because it's that little boy in me that's still scared, still felt rejected, didn't feel that he was related to. Um, and again, this is just full transparency and something that I continue to work towards um, in my journey. Right. And so I don't know what your relationship was like with with your father's father figures and how that relates to the idea of the father wound. I, I mean, I think I would have to do a deep dive to see how um, my but I had I feel like I had a great relationship with all the father figures in my life. My father and I were, were really close. He was, um, the only time I remember being mad at him was, was when he disappeared for six months. And that's one of those mysterious disappearances that happens. Like some people said he went down south and um, some, you know, who knows where he could have been in jail for six months. I don't know. But um, he was just dope. My father taught me about reading. My father taught me, I mean, he, I think he shaped the person that I am, the intellect, the intellectual person that I am. I think my father shaped that. Like his hand is is really deep in that. He, I mean, we we used to work right across the street from Hakeem's bookstore, mm. so he was constantly buying me books. We vended there. He taught me about money. He taught me about business. He taught me about all these things from a vending perspective. He made jewelry. Um, he ran a pool hall. Um, and I was a part of all those little businesses that that he he did, and and then he would have these conversations with me like I was an adult, um, which I didn't realize at the time. But um, yeah, and he wasn't he didn't have a lot of money, but he always came with things. So we had a great conversation. I mean, a great relationship. Um, he wasn't an in-house father. It was you know I saw him on the weekends, but I don't ever remember him like missing any weekend except for that you know that six month period when he sort of went went somewhere and then you you guys met my pop my pop was there you know alongside with him i remember my pop since i was like you know since i can remember he's always been there um he was the one that gave me an allowance you know what i mean he was the one that picked me up from dancing school he was you know he was just there all the time you know, just that. Yeah. So I had these two men in my life that, you know, were great. And my father, my, I'm sorry, I'm going on. No, no, no. That's, you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate the candor. Uh, when we talk about, you know, you said he was there on the, on the weekends and you don't feel like he missed out on any important events and what have you. Was there a part of you that wished he was there on a daily basis or has he conveyed or did he ever convey to you? Like, I wish I was uh, there more. Therefore, he might be overcompensating in, in some type of way when y'all did get together? Now, he wasn't that kind of dad. My dad was like so mellow and very cool, always weeded. You know what I mean? Like, he he didn't have that, like, if there was a, he didn't argue. He rarely raised his voice by the time, you know, he was raising me. You know, he would slide through. He might show up. He might pop up. Um, you know, you turn up one Sunday, he'd be, you know, at the door, you know, 
No, he didn't. We didn't have those. I don't remember any of those kind of conversations. I remember conversations about my aunt who was a lesbian. I remember conversations about money. I remember conversations about history. I remember conversations about. Um, I think he understood who I was going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't. I don't remember those kind of rejections. Like he never rejected. I remember when I told my father that I was gay, or he found out I was gay. He came and he said. So, so do you do drag? <laughs> but, but like that, not like, not like, you know, I don't want to see you dressing up in no women's clothes. It was like his curiosity was. Yeah, crazy. like where are you at <laughs> you know I mean? on the scale? Like where yeah. are you at on this scale of, um, <laughs> of gayness and stuff? Yeah. And I remember one time we went out to dinner and I was drinking before I was of age. So I ordered a Long Island ass tea. So we had the thing. We went all through dinner, da da da, da and he called me at, like the day after or two days later. He was like, "You're not an alcoholic, are you?" <laughs> like, you know, because I'm like maybe 17 or 18, I guess. And long on that tea is like, this has all those liquors in it. So I guess that's what he thought you. So no, so I don't remember us having those. We always had like these deep dive conversations that, you know, were probably I was probably too young to be having. And I probably spent mostly listening, you know what I mean? But no, I don't remember. I don't remember that. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of relate to the way you were talking about your, uh, your stepdad and looking at it differently now than you do, than you did then. Like my dad, my dad was raising two boys, uh, on his own since we were six and my brother was four. Mm. So he was a single dad, uh, which means like he was at work most of the time. So what he taught us was like self-sufficiency. What he taught us was like, take care, take care of the things you got to take care of. Uh, and the other thing that really most of his teaching came through is my dad's a, a tennis professional. So he teaches tennis for a living. So me and my brother, that was like, that was how we got taught through sport. Which does kind of like play into the idea of like my main go-to in life is like pick yourself up, keep going, stay motivated, stay hungry. Uh, whereas we didn't really have conversations about emotions, about feelings, about really anything. Like when I hear Zane talk about deep dive conversations, I can't think of a single deep dive conversation that happened between me and my dad as I was growing up. Um, and then things kind of like spiked when me and my brother were both caught up in drugs and my dad was trying to deal with that as a single father. And things got like, things just weren't good. Like my dad has, had said to me like, you're dead to me, I don't have a first son, right? So, like, I've experienced the wounds that I caused him through the wounds that, like, in a way, he was causing me and my mom was causing me. And uh, But now we've really started to establish a relationship where we do have more deep dive conversations, where we do talk more about things. And he's, like, shifted from, like, Mr. No Feelings to Mr. All the <laughs> yeah. Feelings. And, and it's like it can be tough for me because I'm like 
I'm like, bro, you taught me not to feel, and now you got all these feelings, and I got to try to get so, there. You got to give me. So, time. so with that, do you feel like it's something about you that that rubbed off this this you know transparency, these you know continuous uh, conversations with them potentially where you're open and honest, and that gave him permission to really just be. Yeah, that's pop. I mean, I think me and my brother both getting clean and both getting off drugs and like being clean for a while and him seeing that change in our lives has definitely like made him closer to and then like me coming out as bi three years ago definitely also increased like his ability to like see that he can talk about things mm. too but at this point i think he's actually passed me in talking about feelings and i have to catch up to him yeah. now <laughs> yeah i wonder if it's because you know you they have so many years of of pent up thoughts and feelings and emotions and then once they again they they feel like the the opportunity is safe where they can just be expressive then they they are mm -hmm. right I, I wonder how they are around their friends still right and and around others where it might not necessarily feel as safe like i don't have you either one of you experienced that well i know yeah yeah uh you know the way you call pop saying i know when he comes you know he's open and honest around us I, do you do you attribute part of that to you and just who you are and your openness i think that's in my mind i've always equated that to an aquarian because we're both aquarians and i always felt like that was our connection because he's very verb like he can you can get into a conversation with my pop for a very long time <laughs> like and it's you know he's an observer. You know, and and it and he he he's a long stew. You know what I mean? Like he'll stew on something for a long. He'll think about something for a long time. You know what I mean? He, he has a different way of seeing the world than my dad did. But my pops, they're very different. They're very different. Uh, but my pops is. I don't know if I can attribute that. To, I tell you one thing that did happen, and and I credit him for this: is when I was overseas. And I had stopped coming home because I wasn't quite out yet. And it was a Christmas. And I called home. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to come home. You know, I'm, I'm in a relationship. And he was like, well, bring him home. <laughs> and we actually stayed at his house. Because my, I think either my house was too... My, I think everybody was living in my grandmother's house at the time. Like, my mother, her brother, my grandfather. Like, that house was really crowded. And, yeah, we stayed there. So... I don't know if I don't know if I made him open. I think he was always open. I think our both my fathers would, would, would had no problem having conversations. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. yeah. I don't know if I could attribute that to yeah. me. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So yes, yeah. Go ahead. I, uh, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just gonna jump on that. Like for me, I don't know if I can attribute it solely to me, because when I watch him, like, I now have a younger sister who's only 13, right? So, and he's remarried, he's got, I've got a stepmom, and I watch how he is with her, and, like, some of the, like, essential ingredients that he was as a dad to me are still there, but it's like the edges have softened. So I don't know if that's necessarily me, or the fact that, like, he's not alone in it. He's got a wife that's helping him raise this kid instead of it just being him, right? And and had, having to deal with, like, my absentee mom, he doesn't have to deal with that in this situation. So, like, maybe it has something to do with, like, my more willingness to be transparent. Or maybe it's just, like, he's achieved a better place, 
place in himself through like the scenario that he's in now. And he's realized like he doesn't have to be as stressed out or as focused solely on like getting money so he can pay for the rent and pay for our food. Right. He can actually just pay attention to his daughter and raise her and not stress. So yesterday during the, the, the men's group that we had and we, we had this exact conversation. Some of the themes that popped up were just it's this ability to be affectionate, right? The ability to be affectionate where we're talking about hugs, we're talking about kisses, especially with our with their sons, the, the brothers who were talking. And they just found so much difficulty in in getting past um, whatever they were taught and how they were conditioned to get into the point where they were able to to be expressive in a, in a physical manner with their children. So what are your experiences with that? And either can, can jump in. I feel like I'm, I'm saying like, oh, that wasn't my experience to everything, but I, I, that wasn't my experience. Like me, me and my, um, my pop, we hug. Now I have to think about, I don't remember my father being unaffectionate. Like, I don't, I don't remember that feeling. I had to think about my mom, though. Not that we're talking about mothers. I think my mother may have been a colder, more authoritarian figure than my father. Um, but I don't remember a non-affectionate father on either one of them. Now, my grandfather was not a, a, an affectionate man. Yeah, I mean, there was... <laughs> being in the house I grew up in with him raising two boys and no mom there, like there was no affection in our household. Right. We didn't hug. We didn't say, I love you. Uh, like, yeah, there's just, and like, I look at me today and how I react to touch in general. And like, I recoil from touch. Like, I'm like, ha, ah, what are you doing? <laughs> I touching me. And like, like my, my wife has to deal with that. Like, so, like I have to like, relearn what touch is right because the main thing that was absent in my house was a sense of care right like that sense of warmth or that sense of i've got you uh and like it truly concerns me as like becoming a dad will i be able to do that right it's one of my it's one of the biggest fears i have about becoming a parent is like how do i get past all this miswiring and get to a point where i can be affectionate Because I struggle with being affectionate with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I go ahead. That's, go ahead, Zane. No, I was going to say that's an odd, an odd way. I've dated somebody who was like that. And I'm my my love language is cuddling and touching and affection. Like, I think there must have been a lot of that in my life because that's um, that's how I trade. You know what I mean? Like, but it was only time when it was time to get busy that was when any touch started to happen and it used to annoy the crap out of me yeah yeah i've had to reteach myself like in my early relationship with my wife like i had to be like hold her hand like i had to say ahead be like hold her hand do this because it is it's it's not there naturally yeah yeah no i i I completely understand I, i think for me i've there was a period of time where I truly sought 
affection, right? Whether it's, you know, the the thing, and I love my mom, she probably tuned in right now. Uh, you know, she she had to work, right? She had to work a whole lot, right? We're talking about two jobs. She had to hold it down for my brother and I. Um, so what did that mean? That might mean I didn't get the the hugs that somebody like me need, right? Like I, I learned from an <laughs> early age that I'm an emotional person, right? Y'all y'all see how I get in my my emotional and sensitive bag. That's just what it is. Um, and so I found myself in my later years starting to reach out in my relationships, and I needed that type of attention, right? I needed that physical touch in in order for for validation purposes like we talk about our love languages but i wonder how many of our lang love languages stem from what we were devoid of from when we've grown yeah. up right you talk about gifts i wonder how the person was were they were they overcompensated with gifts right or were they did they not receive gifts and so i know for me in these relationships especially when it starts to get to my daughter there was a period of time i had to try and hug her like a hundred times a day when, especially when she was a baby and she wanted to be hugged, right? Like, come get daddy. She run, come give me a hug. Now, not so much. And, you know, I respect her boundaries when I'm like, all right, come get can daddy get a hug? And she'll come over and put her head out and I kiss her, kiss her head. Like, that's our thing. Um, but for the longest time, I would be frustrated that she didn't want to give me a hug. But then I had to recognize her boundaries. I had to recognize that she's her own person. I had to recognize that what was this stemming from, right? This was stemming from the lack of hugs that I might have gotten from from my mother in that aspect or just the lack of attention from my father at all. And so, again, it's these, it's the work that we do to try and heal these wounds. I, again, I know my mom probably like, when I used to leave therapy, I would call her and I'd be like, mom, what's up with you? <laughs> right? She's like, oh, what did I do wrong now? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's all love right i got you know you did the best that you killed with what you had i i think it's when i became a a father i i truly recognized her as rachel and not mom anymore right like i recognized everything that came with that you know that she's hey she's just the person trying to figure it out and the more i understood about her background the more i understood how she was how she was but it took it took therapy Right. It took a lot of therapy. It took conversations with you, brothers. Y'all have been in groups with me where I've talked about my daughter just last summer. I'm like, yo, forget it. I want to throw this whole fatherhood thing in the trash. You know what I mean? Like, and I threw it in the trash for like four hours. Like, forget this, man. I, I'm out. But then you get convicted and you just feel it and it just changes how you showing up. But I, you know, it definitely impacts our, you know, our relationships and our ability and how we want to engage emotionally and um and physically now another thing that popped up was this idea of overcompensating um do you find yourself overcompensating in any way in your life that's directly related to your relationship with your father i think i could, I think probably, I could probably connect, connect those, dots. those dots i was just, I thinking, was just about thinking about it as, about you, were as talking. you were talking and i remember, and I remember a, point a point in therapy, in therapy when, when my therapist was, therapist was breaking down my relationship, down my relationship with my mom, with my mom and, she, and he was like even though she was present there was something there was that something was being withheld in terms of either her working or her, you know, you know, she was, she had, she had issues with alcohol, and 
So probably so that, probably same, that thing same thing came up. Came up I do overcompensate. I, do overcompensate. Like, like, I, I work really hard. hard. I work hard I work to be hard the peacemaker. Be the peacemaker. And, I and I think maybe I felt like it was, was my fault that my father and mother weren't together. Or, or, you know, you I, know didn't I didn't consciously, consciously think about, think about that. But, that but, and I'm sure I missed my sure father a lot. You know what I mean? I think that six-month thing was where my wound happened. Because I was Cause really, I was really, really angry. angry. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? He was just he was gone just for gone six months with no explanation. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, and I, I compensate. I, 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 I work hard. Like, like I think I stay busy. I can remember myself. I can look out this window and see my house that I grew up in. I can remember being in my room and just having really OCD type behavior in terms of making sure my room is clean and making sure my You know what I mean? just trying to be this perfect kid I think that's how I overcompensate yeah and while y'all talk I'm gonna I'm check out this echo that they're saying is, is taking place so y'all go ahead keep talking yeah I mean overcompensation for me probably when we're talking about like living in an unaffectionate home is now I have to I get to this place where I'm like am I truly an unemotional person or is my emotionality just so stunted from growing up that I've convinced myself I'm an unemotional person? So that's usually the space, like, if we're looking at the relationship with my dad and, like, things I'm trying to navigate, it's definitely this idea of, like, am I really just kind of flat or are you just hiding from things? And then I also, Zane, I also get the idea of, like, overworking, like, because my dad was, like, definitely the author- authoritative parent and the whole idea of sport and like learning on his court on his tennis court with other kids being made an example of i am definitely like bigger better faster stronger work harder work harder work harder work harder all the time to the point where i'm like if i'm in bed for too long like 10 minutes later than i'm supposed to be i'm like no you got to get up there's stuff to do and it's like it's just so crazy and i can see exactly where that stems from yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I wonder how how much of that is you know our relationship with our fathers and what we observe and then just what society says men are supposed to be and how they're supposed to move about in this world where you know today i literally hit my partner up like 17 times like yo i am bored like i don't know what I, what to do like i feel like i should be doing something i don't know if that quarantine blues is really starting to hit me where i'm feeling claustrophobic and i need to be out but the rona is still out there dominating the world uh but it a part of me is just like yo phil you can chill you can relax but then we go into that imposter syndrome we go in being twice as good and not doing enough which again we start to see in every area of our lives right we start to see it in for me in parenting we start to see it in in the workplace we start to see it in our extracurricular activities where again we have to overcompensate we have to overperform so no that 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 definitely makes a a a lot of sense and i think the the thing that i've been working on is directly connected to that just being like you're enough and I feel like I had a breakthrough in this last month or two. You know what I mean? I guess because there's so many things bigger than my performance in the world happening right now. Maybe that's it. And maybe just because I've been working it. And what I'm talking about is the anxiety connected to performance anxiety. You know, at work. I realized the other day I do that shit in the house. 
you know what I mean? It's just with me. Like I get up and I'm like, okay, I gotta. I've been working on this thing too long. I gotta go do, you know. I have this list of things to do, but I'm never. I'm finishing that thing, but with always in mind of what the next thing is. That's exhausting. It's like mm-hmm. physically exhausting, and I'm. I'm tired of being like that. And I'm so, like, so how do you work through that? I mean. One for me is a lot of breathing and a lot of releasing tension in my body. And I've been through a process. So the first process is to write a list and realize that you get what you get done and you don't have to finish it. And that worked for a while. And now it's really just taking my time and letting myself finish the, like for instance, at work. I basically know what my routine is. And I don't have to hold all the things I have to do in my head at one time. I can basically, you know, do the thing that I'm doing and not worry about if I'm going to finish the next thing or not. And, yeah. and, and, and relax inside. Like, I really, like, one of the jobs I have to do, I have to change salads and the thing, and then I, I have to wash dishes, right? So sometimes I'm like, I don't have time to wash dishes because... That was the old day. Like, I have to do this, 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 and this. And I had two freaking pallets today. Like, two skids and a half a skid that I had to broke down. I broke down everything without stress. And I was so happy to be in that space. Usually, it's like I cut out all the small things because I know I have this big thing to do and the tension of trying to move fast. Mm. It, it, it's, a, it's a concept in your brain that you have to have a certain amount of energy to move fast is no actually if you calm down you're actually moving slower you know mm-hmm. what i mean and i have to go back to my performance days when i would have to really zen out before i went on stage so i wouldn't freak out so you almost build this slow motion in your mind so that you don't freak out on stage you know so like you can hear and see and hit your dot and be on your leg and do all those kind of things i'm starting to remember that and bring it back to work so i'm not I'm not physically tense all day long trying to compete with the time clock. You know what I mean? And yeah. finish a 20 list thing when actually if I do 10 of those things, I've outperformed like 90% of the time. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I and just to pivot a little bit, I want to get in because people are probably still wondering like what exactly the, the father wound is. So again, it, it all stems from the relationship with your father, whether they were an absent father or if they were emotionally absent, um, but still present. And so those some of the ways that it manifests itself in adulthood is we're talking about low self-esteem and low con- confidence. And this is not only we can see this in children as well. It might be even more pronounced in children. But then again, when we see how some of these adults are moving out here, right, we can say it's extremely pronounced that, you know, their relationship with their father is leaves much to be desired. So low self-esteem and low confidence. We're talking about anxiety, talking about low mood and depression. For many of us, we're talking about anger and rage. We're talking about too rigid of a boundaries, right? So it says if your father has been unreliable, perhaps by not showing up or even being absent from your life. You may have decided that you cannot let people close to you and you have to protect yourself, right? You cannot let people in to, to get to that next level of of who you are. And then again, we say we start to see that in every area of life. 
Conversely, it can be too loose a boundaries where you're allowing everybody in to, to have this this piece of you, this emotional piece with, of you and physical piece of you. Right. So we're talking about promiscuity, just trying to find a way to to truly belong and having relationships emotionally with unavailable partners. Listen, I thrived on that in my 20s, man. In my 20s, me being with people who were uh being with people who are in <laughs> engaged married in relationships like i was in my bag then why because i didn't have to show up a hundred percent i didn't have to give a hundred percent of phil i could be distant but still be present when i wanted to be and needed to be and so again when i first started getting into relationships with people who weren't attached that shit felt weird. Like, yo, why are you calling me? Like, I, I'm not supposed to call you between 7 p.m. and, like, noon. You know what I mean? Like, what's what's going on here? But, again, a lot of that stems from, you know, just the relationship that I had. But it's real, though. You know, if we can't be real here, where can we be with? That was a laugh of relation. That was a laugh of relation to it. Yeah, it's... You know, because we look at it as being simpler. It's easier because why? You don't have to give 100% of self. So love to get your thoughts on it so I can take the attention off me and dealing mean, with fiancé. Like described my situation, like the thing that I struggled through. Maybe that's where my shit manifests itself. Like my relationships. Like I, I, I get connected to people who... I think I've, I'm, I'm always seen as the emotionally unavailable person. Hmm. Always seen as the emotional unavailable. Cold or I get cold, I get and I, you know the, both of you guys are therapists so you understand how the, the word intellectual can be a bomb for somebody like me because it it's, and I thought that that was my, part of my love language too like conversation, but that could be a, a total wall you know what i mean and i didn't know that until i went into therapy i I was i was so resistant to that thought um so i feel you on that that and i still don't know i mean i kind of know why but i think i'm figuring out now that there are options inside of relationships and i don't necessarily fit my options in one box but that thing that you described about being with unavailable people I guess that could be, you know, my relationship with my father, you know, because you, you're you there, but you're not there, you know, and my mother because you're there, but you're not there, you know, always there in this really way, but I think wanting more, but scared to open up because you keep getting hurt, you know, and I think that's what you were describing, and I can, I can understand that as I look at my childhood home, you know, um, yeah. I can understand that, I can, I can really I can really connect that because you love this person, these people so much, your parents, and then they're there and they're not there. And then when you're gone, you're in the house alone and you're feeling all these things, but you don't, I don't know how to verbalize that. You know what I mean? So, you know, I clean or I listen to music or I dance or I listen to records or I create, but it's all this loneliness. You know what I mean? So you only know the how, you only know how to be in relationship in relation to your loneliness you know what i mean like that comes with you and i'm I'm just sort of feeling that might be why i'm single 
<laughs> Not to laugh at your at your situation, but I'm glad you followed it up with a chuckle. How about you, Mike? Yeah, I, I like I like how Zane brought in the idea that his father wounds very similar to his mother wound, right? Yes. Yeah. Because my whole like growing up as like a disgruntled teenager who thought my dad was ruining my life, really I was angry at my mom for not being there, but he got the brunt of it. And uh but really, because he was working all the time, it was still the same idea of, like, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you care for me? Like, that whole idea. And then being taught, like, from a very early age, talking, like, from the age of six on to self-soothe, of course my wound is, like, I don't need anybody. Yeah. I'll take care of me. I'll take care of my emotions because I don't have any. And like this whole idea when really on like a deep level, I'm just screaming, care for me, love me, see me. But due to the damage that occurred and like the sense of trauma and the feelings of abandonment, it's harder for me to say that in today's world with actual people I'm in relationships with because that fear is in the background of it. Right. You're yeah. still going to end up you're still going to end up in that space where you're not being cared for. So just reel it back in. And listen, I am, I'm somebody that screams at others. Be vulnerable. It's the only <laughs> way you get. It's the only way you get to intimacy. And then, meanwhile, it's like steel gate, brick wall. Let's let's throw a safe in here. Let's do yeah. something else. So yeah. like, but what, my, well, go ahead, no, go go ahead. ahead. No, 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 go, 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 go. Please, please, my, using my. It's just I'm just saying that like I can see what the wound is. But it's, it's been at the point where it's like, how much do I want to heal? Do I, do I want to get to that point of healing where I do open up that emotional vault that I've locked up forever? Or is it just gone because I've locked it up for so long? Basically, I'm a social worker that needs to get a therapist, but I haven't. <laughs> Eventually, I will. <laughs> I think yeah. that gate is hard, though. Like, I've, 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 done, I've done things that I think were vulnerable being vulnerable and being honest and that even that language is like because we talking i talk in innuendo a lot like you assume that people get what you're trying to say without saying it so that you without being hurt like i'm i just i called you three times you know that means i like you don't you know that <laughs> oh maybe you don't because i never actually said it you know what i mean or whatever whatever version of that is and i remember um being vulnerable with somebody and still having language that was, you know, filled with innuendo, but much more direct than I am usually, you know, and, and it felt good to get an honest answer back. And I just reached out to a, a guy who I've been in, in and out of uh, a relationship with for like maybe 10 years or longer, maybe 15 years. Um, and we had just stopped talking after this little conversation we had. And I was, I called myself being really vulnerable. I had done some research and I, it felt good to say, look, this is what I was looking for. I couldn't say it then because I didn't know it. And our little outburst, you know, did this to me, you know, and I'm in grief because we're separated. You know what I mean? It, it bothers me that I'm not sharing my life with you. You know what I mean? In whatever way. And I'm not saying, Everything is not always about sex. You know what I mean? There's 
that there was an intimacy, there was a cuddling, there was a physical thing that I wanted from him, and he just was not available. And for him, what he said back to me is like, yeah, we were both caught up in wants and needs, and he needed to focus on himself. And I get that. But human beings need things from each other, and we want things from each other. That's just the, the way we trap. It's like hardly ever that you're going to have a non-transactional relationship. You know what I mean? Even it's just friendship and conversation. You know what I mean? Those It's not that I'm saying they come with strings, but they come with something, right? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's, yeah, and you bring up needs, man. Need, like, it, when you said, like, I wanted to say it then, but I couldn't. And I reflect on myself, and it's like I was taught for so long to self-soothe. So if I have needs, they're not supposed to be provided by someone else. Right. I have to figure that out. I have right. to somehow take care of that. So why would I? Add, why would I tell you what I need? You can't provide it, right? right. That's that's the sick thought right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you all make make great points when we talk about this idea of the father wound. Uh, again, you know, to add some more things because you know it's not just about you know the physical presence or the emotional absence or what have you. We're talking about neglect. We're talking about abuse. We're talking about control. Um, and we're, again, we're talking about withholding uh, love, blessings, and affirmations. And so, again, we, we see it so often just in our interactions with other men and just how uncomfortable we can be around one another. And I, and I think a lot of that stems from, again, not only how we're, we're socialized by society, but how we're conditioned within you know, our, our cultures, which are our, our families, right? Are those interpersonal relationships uh, just to get your thoughts on that. Being uncomfortable around men. Yeah. Just being, I, and not, cause I mean, it's still, you know, I think you add an extra layer to it potentially, you know what I'm saying? Uh, cause again, you got a lot of things to die to analyze and assess like, which is real. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Which is real. You got to assess a lot of things, something that I don't have to, assess right um so just you know if you can speak to that i mean i don't know i'll let michael go first because i'm i'm i have to (laughs) figure out where i'm going with that conversation yeah i mean so like i think mine's also twofold to a certain degree so my i definitely had and a discomfort around other like boys growing up. I definitely had, I either had to, I was either better than, or I was less than, right? I either had to be the best or I just had to stay as far away from them as possible. Right. And that's like this whole idea of like trying to get, like you could play it into like my dad, not really being there and like trying to get that, that sense of validation. But then, like, you move it forward and, like, me being closeted about being bi, it was, like, this double walling of, like, not only do you have to be the best, but you have to be super alpha, super masculine all the time. Because if you show the least bit of, like, femininity, they're going to know. They're going to find. So then that, like, worked even harder against this idea of not being affectionate. Don't show emotion. Be tough. Be hard. Like, this, this whole nonsense to where, like today i i try to be actively just softer right there's no need for me to be tough all the time like that's it's first of all it's exhausting it's exhausting to constantly be wearing a mask of masculinity ah i'm so tough look at me like it's stupid uh so i try to like 
be in a space where I can feel warmth between me and another man where I don't have to get uncomfortable about it, right? But it's definitely, it takes a lot of practice and I, I definitely have to work through two different avenues because there's like my dad telling me to stop crying and get over it, rub some dirt on it. And then there's me closeted by guy. They can't find out about me being into men or, or the fact that I've been with men. They definitely can't find that out. Uh, so the, the, the lies we tell each other yeah. are tell ourselves to stay stuck. Yeah. I, I think what's, what's interesting is, you know, when we have this conversation about our interactions with other men, and it's been something I've experienced, right, where you're not nece- you're comfortable around being those around, like, your, your closest friends, right? But when it comes around being around um, just other men in general, and it could very well at times be around your closest friends, where it's it is this discomfort right it's this discomfort how do i act how do i respond nobody wants to be considered gay you know because that's the worst thing you could say to a man especially a black man and so i know for for a period in my 20s um i started i was having these these intrusive thoughts where they were really obsessive compulsive and you know come to find out some years later and something i talked to my therapist about it's it's this idea OCD can manifest itself in in these in you know whether it's homosexual or bisexual type of thoughts, right? To where you consider you can continuously perseverate on a particular thought, even though it's not necessarily true. And so what that can stem from is again this lack of inf- interactions with just boys and men in general, right? Because even in school where we might interact with, with boys, but it's on that real surfacey level, right? Where we're playing some type of quote unquote masculine sport with one another, right? Or we, we might be engaged in a mischievous behavior, especially as we get older. Um, you know, we start to, de- you know, find ourselves departing from, from those these emotional conversations that only you know six and seven year olds can truly have you know what i mean the, the older we get the more we, you know we stop being open and transparent and affectionate with one another but this is something that and again unfortunately the research isn't there because again who's coming out to say as a man as a a woman uh, as a person saying listen i have these thoughts right and even though i don't feel this way sexually I'm still continuing to have these obsessive compulsive thoughts, um, which can stem from the lack of interaction and exposure um, that comes from whatever party was possibly absent. Go ahead, Zane. I'm just pondering the absentee thing and how that that's related. I, and that, and I'm trying to think. You know, I I I went through periods in my life. You know, because even to be an acceptable gay man in this society, you have to wear a certain cloak of masculinity. And I found that out because I was I was a feminine young person and, you know, I had to fight and call names and all that stuff. And the way I, I think I worked my way out of that, and I was a dancer, is at some point I, I had to be more masculine. It was a way of survival. And even in the world now, that's a really except. Well, my generation, this younger generation, they they can be more flamboyant, and it's really acceptable. In my generation, I think people accepted you as gay if you were a masculineish gay. Oh, I couldn't even tell. I didn't know. 
You know what I mean? I get that a lot. And so I don't know why I'm going into that. So my relationship with men, I think that helps me, gives me an entryway into different men. But this is what I was going to say. I think my uncomfortability comes with classes of men and different um, variations of men until, until I'm comfortable. That's where I get scared and that's where I, I don't open up. You know what I mean? Like certain people who I think are really smarter than me, people with PhDs and things, I clam up and I'm scared of them. You know what I mean? I feel like, because that's, I feel inadequate because I didn't finish college, yeah. right? You know, and then guys who are really from the street, I feel like I'm never going to have that information, like that education, that way of moving in the world. And I'm never going to be that sort of thing. You know what I mean? So I clam up and, and I'm comfortable in my own space with people who I feel, you know, class akin or, or, or culturally akin to, you know what I mean? And that's cross races, but my uncomfortability, if, if I'm not over intellectualizing it, I think is in those spaces when I feel like the people are really different than me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, how y'all feeling? Y'all good to keep going, or because I I don't want to belabor the point. I, I do want to get to to some solutions. So yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll call to play. Uh, get to some solutions. What we what we talk about just just healing the father wound. So one of the things is as, as Zane talked about, Mike, myself, just engage in in a form of therapy, right? Hopefully it's it's with a professional, right? I know people try to supplement with marijuana. Uh, people supplement with alcohol. It's, it's real, you know, right? You find the vice to help you supplement. So hopefully we find that a healthy therapy, uh, a, a healthy form of, of therapy. Uh, we're also talking about, again, reparenting yourself. I, I think this is a, a, a interesting idea, right? We need to understand just who we are in relation to that. We need to give ourselves the thing that the things that we needed. The things that we desire, right? We need to show ourselves love and affection. You know, some of the brothers were talking about how on Father's Day, they don't need to celebrate it every day. And now I'm like, I used to not celebrate holidays. I still don't for the most part. But Father's Day, I'm like, nah, this ain't even about y'all, right? This is about me. This is, if, if I'm going to take a day, because sometimes it's hard for us to, to find that vacation day, to find that personal day, to find that sick day. Sometimes you just got to force yourself to use it. Right. And so the same thing with Father's Day, I forced myself to, you know, what, I'm a turn up. You know what I mean? I'm a barbecue. I'm going to enjoy me. Right. And for the things I've put, I put myself through for the Where's last 12 years. <laughs> I had, I had the little taco meat out, you know what I'm saying? But, but no, for, for sure, we, we have to, you know, reparent ourselves and give ourselves the things that we need. Um, and permission to feel. And permission to feel. To feel like that's what we used to talk about before. I think that is the thing that's, I think I'm getting out of this conversation right now is that probably I was a hurt little boy because I only saw my father on the weekend. You know what I mean? And because he's dead, I think I have to memorialize, I've memorialized that relationship in a certain way. Uh, yeah, I think, and I think feeling that thing and not being in a, you know, kind of analyzing it in a way that stops the emotion is the problem, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like we got, I got to let myself feel that. So for feelings, because I don't think I'm often available. Yeah. Especially the, us, you know, those who think, right. It's the reason why, you know, those, the educated folk have, 
such uh, high rates of mental health related issues because again you, when you get caught up in in your head oh man it's a it's a slippery it's the slipperiest of slopes and the rabbitest of, of rabbit holes that you can truly fall down when we talk about our thoughts and so also oh go ahead mike go ahead no i was gonna say on the on the line of permission to feel i think like by the way i grew up and dealing with two parents that were both kind of not there in some way it taught like little me there's something wrong with you right so a big part of my healing process is really just because still to this day 33 almost 34 years old i have to remind myself there's nothing wrong with you right just just be you man you're enough yeah. yeah and then it's this idea of like okay if i'm gonna just be me what does that look like what is me yeah. and like going through those layers of identity and kind of like this reparenting thing that you brought up like i have to just allow myself to be mm. just just allow it to happen man stop being so like you're not you're not six years old anymore and you're not you're a slave to your old thoughts yeah, and, and, so and, it's and, about that rewiring process. Phil said something to me which made me, I was like, I wanted to be his friend. He said, um, we were talking in, the, in, in Uncle Bobby's one time. He was like, yeah, you can't be, did you say hostage or prison? Yeah, yeah, hostage. Said, hostage. You can't yeah. be held hostage by your past. And I think it's the same thing with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. What you think about yourself, what you think you have to be. Mm -hmm. You know, like being perfect is what we think we have to be based on that those foundational years right yeah and, yeah we and, have to get beyond the trauma that happened to us because our right. parents weren't able to be perfect parents just like everybody else but we have yeah. to somehow process that trauma put it to where it is and move forward with it you know right. what i mean Word, word. And so the last thing is something that you know the reason why i guess it was a a, a byproduct of why i started you good hashtag you good man uh, wellness groups Again, invest in your relationships with other men, right? Let it be more than just that typical five-minute phone conversations where we got to find a reason to hang up, where we can't just say goodbye. I don't know about y'all, but whenever I'm talking to a, a, another brother, uh, it's like, all right, y'all got to go do something. It's never, all right, y'all, I'll talk to you later. Uh, bye. Right? It's always got to figure out a reason. Again, the conversation can't go too long unless somebody's in some type of trouble, right? Um <laughs> So, again, investing in these healthy relationships with, with men, um, allowing yourself to be friends with adult men, right? For, for so long, we, we preached this idea of, of day ones and no new friends. And then I meet y'all brothers. It's like, no, you know, I, I'm, I need new friends if I desire to get to where I want to get to in life. Right. Whether it's career wise, mm -hmm. whether it's socially, emotionally, you know, I need new friends. I can't avoid, you know, having healthy relationships with with men because it adds value to my life. So and I'll let y'all brothers talk on that before we end. I completely agree. I mean, I think my fear, my fear around getting close to people. Is also my fear around falling in love with people who are not going to reciprocate that, and I, I'm, I thrive most when, whatever relationship I'm in, it's, it's reciprocal, like friendships or love relationships or anything, where I'm caring about you as much as you're caring about me. You know what I mean? Like you want to hang out with me as much as I want to hang out with you. You want to see me as much as I want to see you. 
you know, when that when that thing starts to um, become one sided, yeah. So I value, I definitely value, and it can be, you know, as limited or as grand as as either person. But yeah, yeah. How about you, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because if I look at, like, me growing up, like, I didn't have close guy friends. Like, all my friends were girls, like, all of them, right? So I think, like, growing up, it it set up this kind of dilemma where I I always felt apart from guys or didn't want to, like, get too close because something might happen. But one of the reasons I started participating in the You Good Men group is because I wanted to invest not only in friendships but invest in relationships that were worthwhile, which is not something I don't think I really believed in growing up. But like now I can pick the people, the men I want in my life, right? I don't have to just be friends with people because they're in the same grade as me. Like I get to go out there into the world and be like, no, no, you're about the same kind of perspective that I'm about and you're about something. Let's talk, Let's, let's do this. And I think you good men really helped like create that space for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Appreciate you. Listen, man, I, I appreciate y'all brothers tuning in. I appreciate those who who watch this this episode. I appreciate you all. I, I don't even want to get into NASCAR. Uh, the FBI finding out that uh, that that noose what it wasn't a hate crime that was in Bubba Wallace's uh, garage. No, that the noose has been in that garage since October 2019, and so. I'll talk about that. So was your theory right? That it was Bubba's news? It's not Bubba's news, but it's somebody from NASCAR. It's NASCAR being NASCAR, right? It's it's still hate, even though FBI can't call it a hate crime towards Bubba. It's still a hate crime because what other reason would you need to have a noose for going around? Like, why do you need a noose in general? What are you pulling? I'm not quite sure. Right. I'm glad the FBI can figure that out, but can't figure out the uh, lynchings going on across America. Right now. Ah, that's th- that's, a, that's an interesting topic. That's an interesting conversation. I got like six minutes to go into it. Uh, again, um, I understand this heightened sense of awareness uh, and, and skepticism, rather, when it comes to, to black men who are hanging from trees, because it's this idea that of all methods of how, for one to die by suicide, why would they why would they choose the one that's the most egregious the most egregious method of death in black history i get it right i get it on the other hand and and on the other hand folk haven't been taking suicide serious anyway so they have no idea that hangings is one of the coast most common methods by men outside of outside of uh suicide by gun Right. As far as the tree, and it's not even me paying devil's advocate. As far as the tree, am am I going to hang myself in my home or am I going to go somewhere that's stable? If I'm not feeling heard by anybody in particular, part of that of me hanging myself outside would be to garner some attention, to garner conversation. I might not necessarily felt that I was receiving. And so I can't be quick to jump and say it's lynchings. Right. But what I will say is it requires due diligence, because then when I see I believe it was in Missouri where the guys in the back of the, the, the police car handcuffed and they said he died by a suicide. Now you're just trying to pee in my face and tell me it's raining outside. Right. 
and so those are just egregious that we know. These other ones, yes, they they deserve full deep dives because I don't put it up past anybody. But we also it also brings to light the conversation of uh, male suicides just in general. Because people are going to continue to hang themselves, unfortunately, right? They're going to continue to die by suicide. So I just had to get my thoughts out with regards to that. So could be lynchings, right? And if they, if the, if the coroner has to lean towards, and then we know how the coroners are. They agents of the state, right? We saw that with George Floyd. So again, when I say mm-hmm. I get the skepticism, I'm all for. But I just don't want to. What was the article? What article do I need to read? Or help oh me man, it's so many. It's so many of them within the last two weeks. Like the root, uh, the griot. They not paying me for this, but you know what I mean. You could Google. <laughs> you could just Google uh, lynch- black male lynchings, lynchings, right? And that'll wow. pop up. Is you know, it was two in California within thirty miles of one another. Uh, when ever since this George Floyd incident. It was one in New York. It was. It's been happening in different places. But again, everything that's black will be is under a microscope right now, right? Shoot, I'm thinking about um, what's his name's movie. Who? Um, the uh, the teacup. Um, Key and Peel. Oh, uh, get Key out. Peel. Get out. People getting snatched up. And and that's what I'm saying. And that's why, again, we talk about that due diligence. So if you have video of it and it was people saying release the video of y'all not hot and nothing. Who should we really be watching suicides? Right. Videos of suicide. Should we be really watching somebody die by knee for eight minutes and, and 47 seconds? No, not really. Right. And so if we can avoid it now in the family, if they have video to show the family, then by all means, show it to them. But the I, public, I no. Avoid it, but I think it's, it's martyrdom. And I'm going to cut. That's the most reasonable way I can speak about it. Being a martyr, maybe not an intentional martyr, has served a purpose in our society right now. Unfortunately, it's a really, really my heart is so heavy when I watch it. I have to detach. That's what I don't know about any of this. Like, I would have had, if you had bought this, I would have had to prepare to have a conversation about it. Because I'm not engaging in the daily, um, I'm trying to do other things, you know what I mean? But I'm not engaging in the daily weight of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm trying to like I was talking to Michael earlier, I'm trying to build my mind and build a future, but the thing that I'm saying, I'm just like, yeah, that could be happening. People we get snatched off the street. Yeah, I saw it in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's real though. Like these things are like these are legit concerns that people have. And how do you tell a, a people who've been marginalized and disenfranchised and murdered for hundreds and hundreds of years? That they can't think this about this as lynching, and that's why I'm able right. to extend that that grace for it. But then we, if we're going to have this conversation, then we really need to have this conversation about about suicide in general and what that right. and I what that looks that. like. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. But as far as like, I only keep up with this stuff because why? Because I got to come on here and have these conversations. Like, I try not to engage in recreational trauma. Um, right. Great way to say. So, that. so mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's 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 real. Well, listen, man, I took enough of y'all time. I, I appreciate y'all. Um, until next... I got to watch Watchmen. 
That's, and they not paying me to say that. You said Watchmen? It's free. Yeah, we got. I'm telling you, we got to dig That's into what. That. And so again, man, is I got a couple things on my list first. Like my mom, and I guess maybe this shows me like the advocacy that I'm doing. Like my mom hit me up. Uh, I'm gonna see if I can find her her text real quick. <laughs> like, she. This was on Thursday. She sent me like disclosure comes out tomorrow on netflix subject matter focus on transgendered education for the community directed by a transgender director i know your advocacy includes this population and i'm just like at first i laughed at it like but then it's just like you know what a year ago i wouldn't have been able to get that text because i might not have been uh feeling comfortable enough to to stand in my truth and and have these real conversations about people who matter Right. And, mm-hmm. and so if we're the ones who are, you know, uh, committing these atrocities against the people like trans people or non-binary folk or and or women, then again, it's up to me to be able to have these conversations like, you know, going to the to the walk that, that Mike went to. Again, if it wasn't for Corona, where we're honoring Breonna Taylor and bringing uh, knowledge to to the things that trans women experience. Um, you know, it's because these things are important, right? These things are, are be important, especially if we're having conversations about humanity. You know what I mean? Like you people want to be selective with their humanity and, and where they give it. And they allow a whole bunch of other factors and influencers to to influence how they show up. Right. Whether it's there is religion and the Jesus peace, you know, what I mean, or, you know, their their friends, their parents, like everybody is conditioned which impacts how they show up for humanity and so if i could do my part by again saying yo having somebody on my podcast or show or going and speaking and talk about yeah i wasn't always in the know i sat there for like like 15 minutes today a brother asked me about what um identifying males meant and I just I didn't I wanted to make sure because I said, listen, you know, I still have some slots open for those who identify as male. And he didn't understand what that meant. And so it's just like, I, you know, what I want to present this in a way that's going to not antagonize him in any way. You know what I mean? Not alienate him in any way, because if I come all oh, and oh brother, yo, you got to go hit Google. Right. How don't you know? Right. I had to say, you know, how can I make this the most efficient and effective? And then that gets into my conversation about some of these gaslighting posts where it's like black men don't give a F about black. And then that just take me there. If we could go there briefly, I don't know if you heard the J. Cole no name song and and well, back and forth beefs. And it's just this idea about when are men allowed to have conversations and let somebody know, let a woman know or somebody who identifies as a woman that, Hey, I, your tone isn't how you reach me. (laughs) Right. I I think we get so lost in, uh, the optics, right. The optics of it all, because yes, on the surface, when we look at it, yeah, we need to do more for black women, for trans women and trans folk and non-binary folk in general. But that still doesn't mean because people who identify as how I identify have been treating y'all like ish, right? And maybe at a point in my life, I wasn't as open to some of these ideas. That doesn't mean that I can't let you know and say, hey, listen, your tone, how you're coming across, it's alienating me and it's alienating other people. If your goal is indeed 
to have black men be protective, right? And, and step up instead of not sitting down like we've done for so long. So, you know what I mean? But I understand the place that it comes from. And that's why we, we show the grace. Because, again, you got Dominique uh, Remy Fells that, that was murdered. We got, you know, these, these Breonna Taylor who's, you know, at the march, it was like like 100 black men maybe, if that. But the day before at the Black Men's March, it was it was hundreds of black men out there. You know what I'm saying? So I get where it stems from. So that's just my little rant. Because I keep seeing these Facebook posts in these times. Haven't they, haven't they earned the tone, though? See, again, what, do we, what is your goal? And I think we have to look at it with when we talk about goal. Because, it, again, I can't tell you how to respond. I can't tell you how to react when you've been oppressed for so long. It's just like black folk. You know what I mean? Like, but I can let somebody know, like, listen, if you, if you screaming out F black men to me and y'all ain't ish and y'all don't hold me down... And you're, you're talking to me specifically. You're not going to reach me that way. Right. But that, that's that goes back to the, the Nikki Giovanni, James Baldwin conversation when she was in deep in deep, a deep, passionate uh, conversation with him trying to say, look, how do you how do you separate your oppression from your woman? Like, how do you have a relationship with your woman and and defuse that? that thing you know what i mean so yes you can earn you can like we're trying to figure out our trauma it's time for us to figure out that the way we're relating is related to everything else and that we have a say in how we relate to women how we relate to trans people how we relate to non-binary people we don't have to follow the script and we don't have to work on emotionality alone yeah you know what i mean where where our go-to, like, our go-to expression is anger. Because that's masculine. That fits into the norm. That's how we can express ourselves. You know what I mean? You can't really be in any other space and be a man. I mean, anger is also, like, putting it on the side of, like, women having an angry tone or trans women having an angry tone. Anger is also the result of screaming into the void for years and getting nothing in return, Thanks. right? And, oh. and, and I, also, I also think that, like, to, like, put a spin on this, right? I'll put it in how I process some things sometimes. Like, being a white male, right, I justify anyone's anger towards me based upon my physical representation. I do. I just justify yeah. it. I need to eat that, right? If, if my ability to allow someone heal, to heal even just a little bit, is for them to express themselves at their full level of anger, their full level of hurt, their full level of trauma, then I need to allow them to unload that, and I need to just, like, take it, right? I just need to experience it. Um, when we're at the march on Saturday, there was... There was a moment where a trans woman was talking, a black trans woman was talking, and she was talking about how she always hears people say, well, why didn't they just tell them? Talking about like revealing the fact that they're, they're trans. And her response was, the people we tell are the people that kill us, right? And it, it was a very powerful thing, and it allowed me to sit in how justified the anger and the hurt and... Yes, it, it can be tough to feel, 
and it can feel alienating in a, in a certain degree, but I think there's a, there's a, t there's an adjustment period. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, I think, go ahead. I was just, I just, go ahead. I'm gonna let you go. I was responding as if I misunderstood that statement. I was talking about men's reaction to everything else. But you, mm. when you said, when the angry posts were coming from, I okay, okay, my apologies. Just so to just put yeah, no, no, context, clarity matters. Yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I hear that, right? I hear that, and I empathize with that. I, I think a part of me looks at it as well as, you know, I'm a human being, right? And so I can only take on, but so much, right? So. Again, if we're talking about social media, people are allowed to use their platform any way that they want. And again, I'm missed, I'm one who who's notorious for going and challenging people's posts. Like I told you, I'm, I'm right now I'm having a conversation, uh, a healthy conversation about um, this theater company who I guess in the midst of their protest and I, I invited them to come on the show tomorrow in the midst of their protest. It's slavery, but in reverse. So you have white people with lashings on their back uh, and the black folk are the slave owners and it's holding signs of what if this was your history, right? So, and I'm, it's about 70 comments deep, and, but I bowed out because I, I know I can only take, take on so much. And Facebook and Instagram and socials are people platforms. It's, uh, it's times for the voiceless to feel heard. Right. To get that emotion out before they go and die by suicide, by hanging or overdose or go doing X, Y, Z. I, I think for me and, you know, Zane and I have some of these folk in our circle who we care about. But, yo, at some point you can't keep coming to me with this. Right. Like I get it, but I, I could be the punching bag maybe once or twice. But at some point, if you're trying to have me relate and and engage with you. Right. Because this is supposed to be a conversation. Right. And this we want action behind the conversation. So I can understand where the pain and the trauma and everything comes from. Um, and it's not a matter of, of res being, you know, respectability politics. Right. In order to get something from me, you have to do X, Y, this, because at the end of the day, we're talking about humanity and we're talking about basic civil liberties and rights that come with that. But again. I'm allowed to let you know. That, yo, this isn't the way to reach me. So if you want to have a conversation where you cursing and, and dogging men, no matter, and, and you might lump me up in the midst of that. Nah, you got to watch your tone, B. You know what I mean? I Again, and this is where we talk about, and I, I tried to, maybe it was a false equivalence, but, um, you know, couples therapy, right? And what takes place in the midst of, of couples therapy. Again, Sis, bro, you could be in there, you could be yelling and screaming to the to the hills come off. But at some point, if our goal is to have a relationship, you know what I mean? At some point, we're going to have to bring that down. Now, when we talk about these these, you know, these physical atrocities being committed against people, yo, yell to your effing till who gives a fuck if people care or not about hearing because we talking about death. We're talking about dying. You know, even in the midst of, you know, the uh, the emotional uh, trauma that comes with that. But again, part of me is saying also the therapist in me is saying, listen, if our goal is to connect. And I'm letting you know, like for me, this isn't how you reach me. Now, if you try to engage with me in the way I say that you're you can't reach the way that you can reach me and you're not reaching me, then by all means, do you think? 
right? But again, if you want to be able to have a conversation with somebody like myself, right? Yeah, cursing at me and telling me how men ain't ish, that's not going to ingratiate me, right, to, to your cause, even though I understand why. And it might be pushed back from that. I'm okay with that. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, man, we... It's, it's one of those interesting conversations. And that's why I want to have, you know, I do want to play that that James Baldwin, Nikki Giovanni conversation on the show um, and then have a talk back with regards to it. Because, again, it is so many layers, man. There's so many layers to it when we talk about, you know, the, conv- the, the you know, communication between, you know, people who identify as men and people who identify as women and then black women and black men and then men by the... It's it's just so many. It's just so many. But yeah, man, I, I think I held y'all an extra twenty, twenty five minutes. I, I hope y'all don't mind. Hope y'all don't mind. Alright, no doubt. No I just I just gotta go do uh Oh no, I'm out. I'm joking, I'm joking. Oh, my fault. I'm cause, Yeah, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> like y'all can stay on, I'm out, right? I gotta go find me something to eat. But no, man, I listen to, to I appreciate everybody tuning in and tuning in. Until next time, y'all. Peace.